0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I said I'm ready to preach. I thought about <laughs> I thought about something I saw many years ago on television. I was watching back in the 80s. I was watching uh, Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, give a speech. Don't remember what it was about, but he was one that um, he was—he was—he was a character. Okay, he kind of was a character. Those of you that are old enough to remember him, and. Uh, and a lot of that, you know, was appreciated about him. And I remember, I don't know if they didn't have teleprompters back then or not. I don't know. But because I remember watching him give, try to give this speech, and he had he had these notes and trying to give this speech off of his notes. And, and he was, you could tell he was just struggling and, and it wasn't coming out right. And, and uh, he finally just said, you know, I won't say what he said. But he finally, he, he took his notes and he just, and I said, ah, oh, who cares? And, Threw it behind him and just started sharing from his heart. And there's a little bit of me this morning that kind of sort of kind of feels like this. Ah, here I am. Maybe not quite, though. But there is some of me that... So I'm going to pick him back up. And we're going to go. Psalm 23, verse 4... I. The last time we we, we looked at verse 3, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And then, you know, that can be an encouraging verse God leading us in the paths of righteousness for His name. But the next verse is, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That is the path of righteousness many times. But I look at this, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Quite a declaration there. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I thought, if you had to maybe pick one verse out of all the scripture that could be a synopsis, of the life of a believer. Practical day-to-day living, day by day, year after year, decade after decade. I thought, this kind of fits right here. This is a description of life. You say, well, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Well, I mean, to our own flesh and our own pride and and our own dreams and desires that we have. I I can't argue with that. But there are some amazing, great and precious promises also in just this little verse right here. Amazing, great and precious promises That, uh, that we can cling to and hold to while we go through this journey on planet Earth called life. And I feel I qualify, I'm old enough to be able to share with especially you young people that if you're going to set your heart to follow Christ all your life, which I'm going to encourage you to do, it won't be a bed of roses, it's not going to be a cakewalk. There are those out there that teach that it ought to be, and if it's not, there's something wrong with you. That's a lie. Okay, It won't be. <clears throat> but I can also tell you through my failures, through my victories, through all of life, I can tell you as I look back and I ponder the things we've gone through and I've been through and I look and where was God and all that, I have to conclude, and I can conclude, He is faithful. He will never, ever, ever do you wrong or let you down. Never. He never will. Not one time will he ever. I can promise you that. And I can testify to that. It's true. Take it from an old guy. It's true. He will never leave you or forsake you we have the ability and the choice to leave him if we want but he won't leave us And he won't leave you never ever ever okay and I'm going to give you a little assignment towards the very end of the message I'm going to give you a little assignment I think it might kind of blow you away a little bit but at the same time you kind of know me enough now I'm kind of the of the preachers that we have here I I'm the one that can get a little mushy, I guess you might say. And part of me doesn't apologize for that. It's okay. I've shared with you when we first started this little journey through Psalm 23, and my, my, our, 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 I know I can speak for your parents, that our heart's desire is that you have, yes, good, solid, biblical teaching. It's critical, especially... Nowadays, it's critical. There's mass confusion out there, mass twisting of scriptures out there, mass abuse of God's word out there. It's critical you have your theology will affect your day to day life. Okay? It will. And that's critical. Mention divorce and remarriage, that affects day to day life. You won't marry someone that's divorced. That's practical living. And that's good. And that's sound teaching. But it's our heart's desires that you have more than that. That you also, along with that, have such an intimate, close relationship with your Savior that's real and alive and rich and full. That when you do go through the valley of the shadow of death, You'll know he's there. You'll sense he's there, and you'll keep walking by faith. Okay. Notice it says it. It doesn't say, though I stumble through the valley of the shadow, or though I fall on my face and get up and and crawl and beg and suffer, and though I walk through the valley. You got that? Walking. Now, yes, you may fall flat on your feet. Well, you will. I have. But, he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll be there. His hand is right there. And they still have scarves on them. They're beautiful hands. Take my hand. Let me help you back up. Let's go. You're not through this valley yet. Oh, boy. I, part of me just doesn't know how to get going here. Yea, though I walk. I don't know how much I'm going to get read out of the Philip Keller's book today, but I'll do the best I can. There's some rich things in here that he wrote for us. Yea, though I walk through the valley. It says, now it turns to address the shepherd directly. The personal pronouns I and thou enter the conversation. It becomes the most intimate discourse of deep affection. This verse right here is indeed a most uh, intimate discourse of deep affection. I like how he words that. Both in Palestine and in our western sheep ranches, this division of the year is common practice. Most of the Efficient sheepmen endeavor to take their flocks onto distant summer ranges during summer. This often entails long, quote, drives. By late summer, they are well up on the remote alpine meadows above the timber line. It is this segment of the yearly operations that is described in the last half of the poem. But he's saying it's, it was typical. And I remember... When we lived in uh, western Colorado, a little town called Parachute. Uh, they had weird names for towns. Parachute. And then up the road there was Rifle. And then up the road there was Silt. Uh, who would name a town Silt? Somebody did, but it's there. But we lived in Parachute. And it was in a place called the Grand Valley. It was, it was, a, it was a type of a desert valley. It was really beautiful, though and if you've ever been you been to Grand Junction and you keep going up I70 you'll go right through the Grand Valley and we lived there for 5 years and it was in a valley which meant there's there's mesas and uh, excuse me hills up above and they would take there were there were shepherds that would drive take their sheep up on these high mesas in the summertime and you'd see their little homemade Trailer houses, for lack of a better description, a shepherd's house for a summer. And they would literally take them. So we got to see that firsthand a little bit up there of someone that, you know, was watching over a flock, a shepherd watching over a flock of sheep high up on the mesas. And believe you me, there's critters, there's, well, there's mountain lions there for sure. Uh, And so a lot of dangers. But it was interesting to see that firsthand. And to see, as I read this, to, to remember, that's true. They, they take them up in the high ground summertime. that's Things down low, they dry out. And uh, so here they go on their journey. And how do you think a shepherd would drive a flock up to the high places? Would they just go right up over the cliff? And then phew, they're there. No, they they take them through the valleys. It's just like on a, when when they when those that built highways and roads that had to go over mountain passes, where did they navigate and engineer the roads to go through the valleys? They're trying to find the lowest place. You know, I got, can you imagine if they would try to build a, a road? Let's go right up over the top of Mount Jefferson. We'll just go right up to the tip top. It'll be a great view up there. We'll build a little pull off right there where you can enjoy the view for a few minutes. Then we'll just go straight back down. Here we go. They don't do it that way. It might be kind of fun, but they don't do it that way. They, they go through the valleys. Ugh. When Samuel was sent of God to anoint him, better keep an eye on the clock here, king over, Israel, king over Israel, he was not at home with his brothers on the home ranch. Instead, he was high up in the hills tending his father's flock. They had to send for him to come home. It was no wonder he could write so clearly and concisely of the relationship between a sheep and its owner. And never did he take his flock where he had already been before. All of this is brought out of the beautiful simplicity in the last verses there. Here's a grandeur, a quietness, and assurance that sets the soul at rest. I will not fear, for thou art with me. With me in every situation, in every dark trial, in every dismal disappointment, in every distressing dilemma. And trust me, you're going to have those times if you haven't had them already. Some of us have already had them. Been through... Seasons in our life where it just gets wearying, and life becomes just weary. Maybe even to the point where you say, "I'm just tired of living, Lord. I'm ready to go home." I just, you know, that's a kind of a selfish motive, really. But, but still, I mean, we get there. Especially some of us older ones who hasn't been there. Man, I have. I'll admit it. But thank God His promises are still true. He is with me. I will not fear. Uh, turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to read a, a story here. It gets very applicable. Exodus 14. I'm going to read verses uh, 5 through 22. Start at verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt, this is uh, right when the people of Israel have have departed from Egypt and they're, they're starting their journey. And they've gotten up to the Red Sea. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? that we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took six hundred chosen, chariot, yeah, chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he purposed after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, and his horsemen, and his army, and overtook them, encamping by the sea, beside Piahiroth, before Baal, Zephon, Zephon, I'm not sure. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us? a way to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more, forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and, he shall, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore cries thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift up thy rod, and stretch out thy hand over the sea, <clears throat> and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea, and I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from "...before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud of, and darkness to them. But it gave light by night to, the, to these, so that the, the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the, the sea dry land. And the waters were divided." And the children of Israel went in the midst of the sea upon the dry land, the dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. All right. Beautiful picture of being in a valley of a shadow of death, figuratively. It looks like no hope. They're backed into a corner. A big one. It's called the Red Sea. And there's an enemy coming. And God tells Moses, look over the sea, stretch out your hands. Now to me, that looks like coming over here into a corner. You're backed into a corner. And God says, stretch out your hands. All I see is a corner. That seems pretty silly to me. (coughs) But what did he do? The valley of the shadow of death a lot of times will not make sense in your mind. Many times it hasn't mine. It won't make sense. But get it settled in your heart. You can't figure out His ways. They're higher than your ways. They're higher than my ways. And He calls you to do the crazy things. Just to see if you'll trust Him and believe Him in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. When things all around you seem horrible, they seem wrong, they see, what's going on? I don't understand. Remember, he's, He won't ever leave you. Remember, He went through the same thing where Jesus went through. Yeah, he came out victorious. And his call is follow me. I'll be right there with you. I've been there. I'll help you get to the other side. When it doesn't make sense and everything's foggy and cloudy and I don't understand, this is crazy. Trust him, he'll never leave you or forsake you. And the declaration here in the psalm is I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. It's okay to say, I don't understand. But Lord, I'll, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. I think I mentioned, <clears throat> maybe last time, I, remember, I can't remember when it was recently, that you know when I was about to go back to Cheyenne and just humble myself before the church there, I re- remember the Lord just saying to me, I felt backed into a corner, <laughs> and I remember God saying to me, speaking, take my hand. You're going to walk through this. And I'll never forget the last thing he told me. It's going to be okay. And you know what? It was. It was. And I look back and say, You are faithful. Your word is true. And it will be for you. For you personally, it will be. I look. I mean, I won't know all the trials and things that every one of you are all going through personally each time, but in a certain sense, if I could look forward to watching you go through them and watching you get to the other side and say, wow, He did. He helped me through. I can't believe it. How did this work out? This is amazing. All you can do is say, God did this. It, that's why I was so encouraged, you know, a couple of Wednesdays ago when Malik and Betsy were looking to get into this apartment, and they they didn't know they needed another three hundred and fifty dollars. And by that evening, they had another three hundred and fifty dollars in their pocket. And then I find out later that Malik, my son-in-law, he had prayed that morning. God. Would you help us to get into the apartment today? They did something I would never recommend. A brand new couple. They, they got married. And they went to their apartment. And Betsy's other roommate was still living there. They did that for two months. I, I don't recommend that. You get married. Go off with your honey. Have your own place. Okay? And honeymoon for a while. That's okay. They did it a little bit backwards. And that's, you know, God bless them, that was fine. But I understood why they wanted to get their own apartment and why they wanted it that day. They were tired of it. They they're a couple. They're a brand new couple. They want to go be married, just them. Not them married to another roommate over here. It doesn't work that way. So I didn't blame them for feeling that way. And I didn't blame them for, God, would you please help us get into this apartment today? Well, I, I couldn't fault them. Right? You know, you, some might say, oh, come on, have a little patience. Uh, no, I think we need to have a little grace for them and pray with them. Yeah, Lord, would you help? And it worked out. God was real to their specific situation right then. And He showed Himself real to them when He asked God for help. That's the point I'm trying to make. And, it was, and that's how God works. You need $350? Oh, God, I got that for you, Sure. You need 2,221 and 96 cents. I've got that too. I'll give it just that amount. And that's how He works a lot of times. He doesn't give you more. He doesn't give you less. He gives you just what you need. That way all you can do is step back and say, God is real and you're faithful. In the midst of this valley. I don't understand. I'm in the corner and you're saying, Lord, raise, you're telling me to raise my hands. Okay. I don't get it. That's okay. I wonder how Moses felt. I don't know. Uh, Valleys are the way. He goes through there. It's through the valleys. And you know this. You go up in the mountains. You go through the valley. That's where the streams are. And where the streams are, that's where the grass is. It's where the food is. Yeah, it's where the shadows are. Yep, sure enough. Especially in the winter time. In the wintertime, when the sun doesn't get into those valleys, it's also the coldest place in the mountains. Because it never sees the sun. But He's still there with you, for you. And His call is don't fear. Don't give in to fear. Believe. Only believe. Jesus said that a few times there. Only believe. And I'll show you. In fact, flip over to John chapter 11. We'll read that little story. John 11. I'm going to start at verse uh, 38. <clears throat> John 11:38. You know the story. Lazarus, he's been dead four days. Verse 38, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her. Said I not unto thee. If thou wouldest believe. Thou shouldest see the glory of God. In other words. Fear not Martha. Fear not. Believe. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus. Je- he didn't say He lifted His hands. He lifted His eyes though. He told, God told Moses, lift your hands. Jesus lifted His eyes. At a time when He was about to perform an amazing, amazing, amazing miracle. He'd been dead four days. Valley of the shadow of death. And there's an illustration for there also to learn from. The valley of the shadow of death also can be a place where we die to ourselves. And I think something to learn from this story is when God is dealing with His own children, when He's dealing with you, when He's dealing with me, and we've got areas in our life we need to die to, God likes to make sure That things are really, really good and dead. Lazarus was dead. He was really dead. And a simple call upon your life from God will be, I want you to trust me and die. And he may say, and I want you to be good and dead. And his whole reason is so that he can raise you from the dead. And when that happens, all of him gets seen through you. Because you're dead. It's like uh, the guys are We saw that one video at the purity meeting that one time about the guy that couldn't quit smoking cigarettes. And... <laughs> He said, man, we've tried everything here. Is there one thing that we can do that would really cure him from smoking cigarettes? And one more guy said, said, yeah, I got an answer. He takes a pistol out of his pocket says, this will work. This will do the job. Goes over and just, boom, he just shoots him in the head. Drops over dead. There, he won't smoke anymore. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, he won't. He said, you can take a pack of cigarettes. You can put it right up to his nose. He won't pick him up. Well, that's, that's kind of the death that God calls us to die in a certain sense. To be so dead to ourselves in the valley of death, of the shadow of death, that nothing, we won't be bound to anything on this earth. Not the world, not self, not sin. You're free because you're dead. And he lives in you. Okay. Lazarus was good and dead. Jesus lifted his eyes. And he prayed. Father I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by I said it. That they may believe. That thou hast sent me. And when he. Thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice. Man, if there's ever any moment in the Gospels, I would have loved to have seen. If you could could see them videos, watching Jesus cry out, Lazarus, come forth. Man, that would have been a good one to see, don't you think? That would have been a, a good one. And to see him come out of the grave and to hear him say, Loose him, set him free. That's what happened. But he, in the midst of a time when everybody was looking around and said, there's no hope. This, this one's over. This one's done. He's dead. Jesus said again, just believe. The deep valley, I know. It's a deep shadow and it's a dark shadow and it seems hopeless. Keep walking with me. Trust me. I've got life. On the other side. I've got more life for you. On the other side. I've seen so many people. Young people. A lot of them go to Bible school. They get fired up. And six weeks later. They're, they, they, God starts leading them. Down the valley of the shadow of death. And they give up. They're like the Israelites. Will you bring me out here to die? Well, part of the answer is yes, I did. The Lord would say. Will you trust me? And by their actions, they say, no, I won't. I'm going back. There's certain death back there in Egypt. Certain death. You'll be separated and cut off from God. That is death. I remember a good story of someone that just, man, went through their valley. Whew, wee. Brother Ken Lowry, when he was going through chemotherapy, man, that man was sick. That stuff is bad. You know, he had about half of his colon taken out, maybe just over half. And they were able to reconnect. And so that was, that was a blessing, a good thing for him. Um, but he had colon cancer that had spread to the liver. He had, he had, they, they took out all the cancer out of his colon. But they found two tumors in his liver. And they discovered a, a treatment they could do it was about 6 weeks of chemotherapy attack these two tumors in his liver try to shrink them and then they would go in with this probe and uh, surround those tumors with with wires and then they would they would they would send you know electrical signal through it and it it was it was like it was going to microwave those tumors and just Dissolve, just eat them up. And, uh, but they were too big. They had to shrink them down. And that's why they went through the chemo. And he almost died twice. And obviously, you can say, well, it must have worked. It did. I mean, he's still alive today. This was, it was 15 years ago. They gave him six months, six to 18 months to live. 15 years later, he's, he's still with us. But he was sick, man. He was sick. Oh, and yet he was the one that ministered to me. It was during a real hard time, church-wise. It was kind of the beginning of a rumblings before a church split finally happened, unfortunately. And, and I was wrestling. I was thinking because I was on the, I was the leader then. I was on the hot seat, and and uh, I went to Ken. Here, this man is just sick and you know he's he's cold he's bundled up his hair's gone he's skin bones and he's huddled over and there is a piece about that man in the midst of that you talk about being in the valley of the shadow of death yeah, here was a man that feared no evil. He knew Jesus was with him. And he just walked through. He walked. Now, physically did he walk? He couldn't hardly walk. But in his heart and in his spirit, he walked through that valley. What an example. And not only just walking through, but he was the one ministering to others. You say, how does that work? By faith. He believed. He just walked by faith. Amazing testimony. He almost died twice. And he got on the other side. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I don't know what kind of valleys God has for each one of you to walk through, but I, He's got them. I, I, I guarantee that. And the way things are going, the way things are, are headed, I think we would all agree that America is going down a path, we've said this before, where, where faith in Christ is going to become more expensive. That's okay. Okay. You see, that probably means more valleys. Yeah, it probably does. That's okay. You consider China. And I hear the persecution is really ramping up in China. And yet we hear the church is exploding in China. The more you try to stomp them out, God's way is well that just brings forth more life, more power. More of himself. Oh, are we ready for that? It's coming. I, I don't know when, but it's coming probably sooner than we think. But they've got valleys they go through. Do you think they have uh, the American dream? Do you think they even care about owning a house? They probably care about whether or not they're going to make it to tomorrow. So be prepared. When things and rights and properties and bank accounts get seized and taken from us, it's going to be a valley of the shadow of death. That doesn't make it bad. But how will we do? God, help us to be prepared for that. Because it's coming. And I'm not trying to be a prophet. Anybody, I think all the brothers would say, well, yeah, just, just take a look at where we're headed. It's coming. Common sense would tell you that. That's okay. But there'll be valleys along the way. God, help us to be ready for them when we get to them. And he says to us and calls us, take my hand and walk with me. It's dark. Lord, this is scary. I know. It's okay. He's right there. All right. A little bit more. It really touched my heart in a more deeper way. Is the last part of that verse. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In the Middle East, the shepherd carries only a rod and staff. Some of my most vivid boyhood recollections are those of watching the African herdsmen shepherding their flock with only a long, slender stick and a rough knob uh, a rough knob carry, called a knob carry, in their hands. These are the common and universal equipment of the primitive sheepmen. Each shepherd boy, from the time he first starts to tend his father's flock, takes a special pride in the selection of a rod and staff exactly suited to his own size and strength. He he goes into the bush and selects a young sapling which is dug from the ground. This is carved and whittled down with great care and patience. The enlarged base of the sapling where its trunk joins the roots is shaped into a smooth round head of hardwood. The sapling itself is shaped to exactly fit the owner's hand. After he completes it, the shepherd boy spends hours practicing with this club, learning how to throw it with amazing speed and accuracy. It becomes his main weapon of defense for both himself and his sheep. I used to watch the native lads having competitions to see who could throw his rod with the greatest accuracy across the greatest distance. The effectiveness of these crude clubs in the hands of skilled shepherds was a thrill to watch. The rod was, in fact, an extension of the owner's own right arm. It stood as a symbol of his strength, his power, his authority in any serious situation. The rod was what he relied on to safeguard both himself and his flock from danger. And it was, furthermore, the instrument he used to discipline and correct any wayward sheep that insisted on wandering away. The sheep asserts That the owner's rod, his weapon of power, authority, and defense is a continuous comfort to him. It will be recalled how when God called Moses, the desert shepherd, and sent him to deliver Israel out of Egypt from under Pharaoh's bondage. It was his rod that was to uh, demonstrate the power vested in him. And that's true. It was. It was always through Moses' rod that the miracles were made manifest, not only to convince Pharaoh of Moses' divine commission, but also to reassure the people of Israel. The rod speaks, therefore, of the spoken word, the expressed intent, the extended activity of God's mind and will in dealing with men. It implies the authority of divinity. It carries with it the convicting power and irrefutable impact of, thus saith the Lord." Uh. For in fact, the scriptures are his rod. They are the extension of his mind and will and intentions to mortal man. Okay, he's comparing the rod. We're going to get to the staff here in a minute too. To God's word. It is a defense. It is an extension of authority and power. It is a rod. Another interesting use of the rod in the shepherd's hand was to examine and count the sheep. In the terminology of the Old Testament, this was referred to as passing under the rod. This meant not only coming under the owner's control and authority, but also to be subject to his most careful, intimate, and first hand examination. A sheep that passed under the rod was one which had been counted and looked over with great care to make sure all is well. Because of their long wool, it is not always easy to detect disease, wounds, or defects in sheep. For example, at a sheep show, an inferior animal can be clipped and shaped and shown so as to appear a perfect specimen. But the skilled judge will take his rod and part the sheep's wool to determine the condition of the skin. The cleanliness of the fleece and the conformation of the body. In plain language, one just does not pull the wool over his eyes. Interesting way to put it. But he would use it. And the illustration there is, you can have a sheep, you can trim it up, clean it up, look real nice on the outside, and yet let the judge take his rod and say, well, let's, let's, let's get past this wool here and see what we find on the skin. He digs a little deeper. Isn't that what God does? Oh, people can see us on the outside. God takes His rod and examines our inside. And it's meant to be that way. That's the work of the shepherd. And yet His declaration is, Thy rod comforts me. It takes faith to say that. To pray that prayer, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Search me, O God. That's a prayer God likes. And God will respect when He hears that. Lord, I'm here. It may be kind of tough for you to say. It's a little bit scary to honestly say, Lord, go ahead. Show me who I am. Show me what I am. He'll, he'll answer that prayer. And if you said out of, a, out of a heart that says, Lord, you know me better than I And I know I'm a human being with human flesh, with tendencies towards humanity, human nature. I know there's things in here that I probably don't even see that you see that aren't that pretty. Let me see them. It's okay. God's honored by that prayer. He delights that that prayer takes faith. And He will be faithful. I told you before, He'll be faithful. And He is faithful. He'll be faithful to answer that. And He'll show you. And it might not be pretty. Eww. But it's good for you. And it's good for Him. It's good. Remember, He leads in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. It's good for His namesake. It's good for His, good for his cause. When his people can humbly come before him and say, Okay, Lord, I'm here. Search my heart. It's not easy, but it's necessary. All right. And it's for sure, we won't pull anything over, we won't pull any wool over God's eyes. We know that already. He sees it all, He sees every fiber. He sees every cell on your. He knows how many hairs you got. He knows how many. Some of us are going to lose today. That's okay. He knows it all. Okay. Wool in scripture speaks of the self life, self will, self assertion, self pride. God has to get below this and do a deep work in our wills to right the wrongs which are often bothering us beneath the surface. So often we put on a fine front and brave, bold exterior when we really deep down below there needs to be some remedy applied. That's right. So true. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be the royal throne. That's a convicting for that's a hard song. I, I little confession here. That's a hard one for me to sing. Because there's a lot of deep depth in that. Take my life and let it be. God would have every right to say to each and every one of us, Do you really mean that? I hear you sing it. And he would say, I like that song too. And I hear you it. do you really mean it? And if you say, yes, Lord, I do. Get ready for a valley. Because He's going to see if you really mean it. He takes us at our word. you got to be careful what you tell Him. He takes us at our word. That's okay, though. Oh. Oh, there's so much I wish I could. Just go through all of this here. The rod conveys the concept of authority, of power, of discipline, of defense against danger. The word staff speaks of all that is long-suffering and kind. And I, you, you know, I think you know me. This is where I like to park and just think of God's kindness and goodness. And I like living there. I like being there. But it's very necessary. To have Him correct us and shape us and lead us through those valleys where our faith gets tested. Where we get to see who we really are and what we really are as we go through that. But if you, by faith, continue to walk through, He'll open up the rays of sunshine on the other side on that mountaintop. And some of you that have been on top of those mountains, you know how beautiful it is up there. The view these. these you just almost want to just stay there and just soak it in. It's magnificent. I remember those days when I was young. Me and a buddy used to climb some of the mountains in the Cascades there. We've been at the South Sister and Broken Top and, and such. And uh, it's beautiful up there, but it's, it's work. And there's only one way to go, there's only one way to get there. You have to keep walking. We have a tendency of our own nature to say, I want to get on the other side. Lord, just take me there. <laughs> His answer, okay, fine. Start walking. I'll be there with you. I'll help you. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through the valley. I just want to get on the other side where it's pretty. You'll cherish the view a whole lot more after you walk through the valley, you'll cherish Him a whole lot more after you see Him help you through the valley. I promise you will. Just as the rod of God is emblematic of the word of God, so the staff of God is symbolic of the spirit of God. In Christ dealing with us as individuals, there is the essence of the sweetness, the comfort, and consolation, the gentle correction brought about by the work of his gracious spirit. There are three areas of sheep management in which the staff plays the most significant role. The first of these lies in the, the drawing sheep together into an intimate relationship. The shepherd will use his staff to gently lift a newborn lamb and bring it to its mother if they become separated. He does this because he does not wish to have the ewe reject her offspring if it bears the odor of his hands upon it. So instead of picking it up, he uses his staff. You've seen, you know what it is. You've seen the picture. It's the staff with the big crook on it. It's the shepherd's staff. I've watched skillful shepherds moving swiftly with their staffs amongst thousands of ewes that were lambing simultaneously. With deft but gentle strokes, the newborn lambs are lifted with the staff and placed side by side with their dams. It is a touching sight. That can hold one spellbound for hours. But in precisely the same way, the staff is used by the shepherd to reach out and catch individual sheep, young or old, and draw them close to himself for intimate examination. The staff is very useful this way for the shy and timid sheep that normally tend to keep at a distance from the shepherd. Similarly, the Christian life we find in the Christian life we find the gracious Holy Spirit, the Comforter, drawing folks together into a warm personal fellowship with one another it is also he who draws us to Christ for as we are told in Revelation the spirit and the bride say come I thought that was interesting it's not just the bride it's the spirit and the bride together together us with the Holy Spirit of God can say to the world come come on Beautiful. Hmm. Oh, boy. That staff comforts me. Your spirit, O Christ, is my consolation. Many of our jams and impasses are our own making. In stubborn, self-willed, self-assertion, we keep pushing ourselves into a situation where we cannot extricate ourselves then in tenderness compassion and care our shepherd comes to us he draws near in tenderness lifts us by his spirit out of the difficulty and dilemma what patience God has with us what long suffering and compassion what forgiveness the rod more an example of his word the staff more of the spirit of God with the rod a symbol of authority power discipline and defense The staff, long suffering, and kindness. Flip over to Romans chapter 8. Great and precious promises, especially when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember, it is just a shadow, shadow of death. Now, there will be death to self as you go through the valley. But the fruit of that is freedom. The fruit of that is knowing Him more intimately. The fruit of that is sensing His, his loving arms. Holding you. Carrying you. Being with you. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No valley, no matter how dark, cannot keep you from the love of Christ. I love the story of the, the Gadarene demoniac. He had a legion of demons in him. And yet, even those legions That legion could not keep him from coming to Christ. Takes away any excuse from anybody. If a legion of demons can't keep someone from getting delivered and saved and set free, what can? There's nothing. There's nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, look at this one more time. Paul says. in in all these things. He didn't say, no, God's going to deliver us from all these things. No, He didn't say that. He's not going to deliver you from tribulation or distress or nakedness or peril or sword or all the trials. He's not going to deliver you, just, just beam you out of the valley of the shadow of death that you're walking through. In that, you are more than a conqueror. That's his desire. He gets honor and glory that way. How much honor and glory does God get when His people walk through the deepest, darkest trials, and they stay faithful? And by faith, they don't understand, but they say, "Lord, I don't understand, but I love you, and I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help me through this, God. I don't, I don't get it. That's okay. God gets honor, as opposed to those." that say, forget it. I'm out of here. I'm not doing this Christian thing. God gets robbed from those individuals. Will a man rob God? Not in the end. He'll get the honor He deserves. But God gets honored when His people walk through those times Trusting his rod, trusting his staff, loving him, knowing that he's right there to carry them if he has to. His desire, like I mentioned before, is communion and fellowship with you, each and every one of you. And that's where I want to I leave everybody with some comfort. Of what He is like for you in the midst. You've heard me share this story before. About my daughter when uh, when she was about three. And we were praying over these dogs that were coming up to her bed in the middle of the night. And I knew what it was. It was they were evil spirits. There was something about that house. Well, there was a, someone making illegal wine in that house. We wondered if there was a spiritual connotation behind that. I, I think there probably was. Prayed and prayed and prayed for a couple of months. And, and uh, I've shared it before with you how Jesus himself came and sat down on the bed. My little three year old held her. He said, There's not going to be any more dogs. And there wasn't... They were gone. Imagine that. God was right. Well, yes, of course. But He was right. That, 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 they were. That was the end of them. Wow. Jesus is alive. He's real. But then what He told her when He laid her back down in her basin, now, I'm going to lay you back down. And I'm... I can not do this. I'm going to go hold Michael. He was two. And then I'm going to go hold Jeffrey. He was not even a year. He was just a baby, probably eight, nine months old. You know what he said next? He said, and then I'm going to go downstairs and hold your mommy and your daddy. I want you to do something tonight. I don't know where you're at. Are you are you in a deep valley that you you struggle, or maybe it's going okay? It doesn't matter where you're at. You need this. You need to have that assurance. Romans eight that we just read right there. You go to bed tonight. I want you to do something. I want you to just look up to Jesus. And say, Lord, would you hold me tonight? Will you do that? I'll make you a promise. I'm not a betting man, so I'm not going to bet, but I promise. He will do that. In fact, I'm pretty sure He would say, I would love to do that. Thanks for asking. You do that tonight. I don't know what you're going through. If you're in the a deep, dark valley that is troubling you, that is, or maybe life's pretty good, it, it doesn't matter, really. You need the Savior to hold you. You need to be in His arms. You need to be in His hands. It's the safest place to be in the world. I'll do it too, okay? I'll make a deal with you. I'll do it too. And then maybe... Next week, maybe we can have some testimonies that you can share. Man, have I got a story to tell you? I did that, brother, and God showed Himself to me this week. and It blew me away. So be prepared to share some testimonies next week. We'll see what God does. Thank you.